Well, good morning. Um, if you want to grab your Bibles, uh, let's open them up to the book of 1 Kings. Uh, more specifically, in 1 Kings and chapter 17. Uh, as you can tell from that, uh, gone are the days of Luke now. Uh, we're starting a brand new six-week series today, learning from one of the greatest men of God recorded in the whole of Scripture. His name is Elijah. Now, if you're here today and you find it hard being a Christian at your school, maybe you find it hard being a Christian in your place of work, maybe you find it hard living as a Christian when you're with your friends, or or maybe you're concerned about the state of our nation right now, the the state of it spiritually, uh, the state of it morally, the state of it economically, or if you've ever just paused and wondered whether there'll be any kind of Christian presence left in this nation, say, a hundred years from now. You think of the state of the church right now, the decline spirits, you think, next century, will there be anything left of the church at all? If you thought any of that, found yourself relating to any of those situations, I've got to tell you the story of Elijah is most definitely for you. See, Elijah appeared on the scene uh, in the year 863 BC, at a time when a guy called Ahab was king of Israel. Just need to give you a bit of the background to set the scene. 58 years before Ahab became the king, Solomon had been on the throne. Solomon's father, uh, anyone tell me who he was? David. Uh, that's right, David. Uh, David is a man after God's own heart, we're told in the Bible. David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And under Solomon's rule, the empire had spread. It had grown in influence on the world stage. But in those 58 years after Solomon, seven different kings came and went, each one of them more evil than the one before. And so by the time Ahab came to power, the nation hardly knew anything about the God that their forefathers had worshipped and served. To make matters worse, we're told that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of God than any of those before him. This was the time in which Elijah lived. And so spiritually speaking, this was an incredibly dark time. We're talking about major scandals, corruption, the worst kinds of sexual abuse, widespread idol worship, and a complete and utter disregard for God. And faced with this, God says, enough is enough. And he does what he often does. God raised up one person, in this instance Elijah, to take a stand. And I'd argue that for us in our nation right now, faced with the scandals and the corruption and the abuse and the idolatry and the utter disregard for God, faced with the huge spiritual decline that's been over the last 40, 50, 60 years, God may want to do something very similar through us. I'm going to pick up the story in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. Now Elijah 
who is from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab. Just to say, sometimes the Bible gives uh, a lengthy introduction to its heroes. Not so with Elijah. He just seems to appear from nowhere. We have absolutely no record whatsoever of his past. We know nothing about his background. One minute we're told where he was born, the next minute we're told he was standing in front of the king. We're given no other information about him here. However, we are told in the New Testament in James 5 verse 17 that Elijah was a man just like us. And I believe as we dip into his story over the next few weeks, that God wants us to become men and women just like him. So I want to say right at the outset, be prepared. I believe God's going to call some of you to take a stand for sexual purity in your class at school. I was going to raise up some of you to take a stand for integrity and honesty and righteousness in a business that's lacking integrity right now. I was going to raise up a few of you, perhaps to go into politics, to take a stand for justice and truth. Listen, regardless of your background, God is going to be coming with faith for some of you, even this morning, to make a difference right where he's placed you. For others, a bit like with Elijah, I believe he's going to draw you from where you are right now, from a place of relative obscurity, being pretty unknown, to one day having a voice, even on a national scale. Now, those are big claims, and it's more than I can pull off standing here in front of you right now. And so before we get into this, before we go any further, I want to pray and I want to ask God to come and do in us what I genuinely believe he wants to. So let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, I want to ask you right now that you would grab hold of our attention. Have we come today? How distracted we are? Maybe we're thinking, Elijah, another boring series. God, would you come and grab our attention? I want to pray even now, miraculously, for faith to start rising inside each of us. I want to pray that you start stirring within us a passion for you and for your glory and your name and your purposes in us and through us, in our generation, in this city, in this nation, even to the ends of the earth. Father, I want to ask right at the beginning... You'll come and raise the spiritual temperature in this room. You'd raise our expectations beyond just another talk, another series, another Bible study, that this could change my life. Father, give us ears to hear your voice to us today. I pray you'd receive your word with faith, with courage, be able to apply it into our situation and do the things you want us to do as a result. Amen. Let's keep going with the story. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, he told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there'll be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, just to put that in some kind of context, we've just been through what a lot of people would describe as a massive global economic slowdown, haven't we? Now, what Elijah is prophesying to this king is a total economic shutdown. You see, 
in an agriculturally driven economy, no rain shuts everything down. In our world, it would be the equivalent of no food in the shops, no petrol left at the petrol stations. Banks wouldn't let you get your money out anymore. Credit cards would all stop working overnight. There'd be no gas, no electricity at your home. Unemployment would be widespread. Think 70, 80, 90% unemployment. It'd be like an end to life as we know it. And can you imagine the courage that it took for Elijah to stand before the king and declare this message? At a time where pretty much everyone else in that society has turned their back on God, Elijah boldly states that God is not dead, and as long as God remains alive, Elijah will keep on serving him. It's like Elijah is completely out of step with the culture around him, but he refuses to stay silent. He doesn't just play it safe. He has the courage to stand up and speak up and challenge his culture. You know, I think way too often we hope we can impress the world, even win the world, by being more like them. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to reform, not conform. We're called to tell a different story, a way, way, way better story, not simply trying to imitate or regurgitate the story that our culture is helplessly drowning in. You know, what this nation desperately needs right now isn't churches that look cool. No, more than anything else, it is Christians who know God intimately and who can powerfully and authoritatively tell people what God says to them. Elijah's proud boast to his corrupt, godless culture was that he still lived to serve God. If only we all shared that mentality. So so often, we can just lack the confidence, we can lack assurance because we fear the response we're going to get. We perhaps fear being thought of as narrow-minded or opinionated, forgetting that we serve a pretty narrow-minded God who commands all people everywhere to repent and turn and follow him. God leaves no room for maneuver. What we see here is that he is willing to back this lone, uncompromising prophet with impressive signs and wonders to prove his authenticity. I mean, don't miss this. It's incredible. There would be no rain in the entire nation until Elijah said so. Now I'm reading this. I'm thinking, game on. I'm expecting some kind of huge battle with the mighty man of God coming through victorious. But instead, God does something ever so slightly different. He takes Elijah into a prolonged season of hiding. And what we're going to see as we read on today is that God uses this time of hiding to prepare Elijah for all that's to come. It's almost as if God is saying, there is so much more I need to do in you because there is so much more I want to do through you. And so for the rest of this talk, I simply want to look at what God is wanting to work into Elijah 
and by implication into us. Four things. Number one, humility. Number two, obedience. Number three, faith. Number four, perseverance. Start with humility. Can't imagine, can't you? Elijah, leaving the king's palace, having said, no rain until I say so, kind of wondering what's going to happen next. Imagine him thinking, well, I guess it's going to be a national tour for me. I mean, book your tickets quickly, make sure you get a front row seat, because it could be the day when I make it rain again. It's like suddenly Elijah is the center of attention. It's as though he's holding the history of the nation in his hands. It's like, I've just spoken to the king. I'm responsible for shutting the heavens. Everyone will want to come and listen to me now. It is my moment. But quite unexpectedly, God tells him that it is the moment to go and hide away by a brook in the middle of nowhere. Verse 2, then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kerith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Hide myself away? Surely that can't be what, I, what God has in mind. It's not what I had in mind. What, what about my gifts? What, what about my ministry? Surely I should press on and make the most of all of these opportunities that are opening up for me right now. God says, no, I want you to be hidden away for a season. That is not an easy word to hear. Hidden times can be very difficult times. You know, faith that leads to extraordinary breakthrough is pretty exciting. But being willing to obey God when he takes us off center stage isn't quite so exciting. It's not so appealing. It requires real humility. At times it can feel like dying. I'm guessing some of you even now, feel this intensely. I think there are seasons for all of us where we have to grapple with this. Perhaps there's been a restructuring where you work, and it feels like almost overnight you've been sidelined. You you weren't even consulted about it. You, You found out what was happening from someone else. Suddenly, it feels like decisions are being made behind your back. Maybe you've recently moved to Birmingham. It feels like you're starting all over again. Like in your previous church, you had much more profile. Now it feels like people don't even know who you are. Over the years, I've often heard people say, if God gave me these gifts, it must be for a reason. If you feel like your gifts aren't being seen or utilized properly in the church, you can be tempted, can't you, to uproot and try and find another church where your gifts will be recognized, where your gifts will be honored. Instead of saying, God, if this is a time for me to be hidden, I'm going to walk through this season with you, trusting you that if you've placed this inside me, if you've got these purposes for me, you're well able to open it up in your time. This is what you want for me now, then with humility I'll receive it from you. Maybe you've recently had your first child. 
I had an exciting career, great social life, loved coming along here on a Sunday morning. But almost overnight, everything changed. And now it feels like this baby takes up all of your time. I can't remember the last time I managed to engage properly with God in worship. I mean, thanks for the invite. I'd love to come along, but we just can't find a babysitter. There can be these times, these seasons, when it feels like you are not making the decisions and you're kind of hidden away. You come in all sorts of different ways. And it can feel incredibly costly when it happens because we have this inbuilt tendency to value ourselves by what we do, by our position, or how other people view us. We have this need, don't we, to be needed. And so it's painful when we feel we're not needed anymore. Don't need me to tell you, it can be unbelievably hard. Hide myself away? Really? Remember Jesus says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. But if you love life in this world, if you fight for your rights, often that's when you lose it. And receiving this word from God as acceptable counsel. Elijah, first of all, showed tremendous humility. Secondly, he modeled incredible obedience. Verse 5, so Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kerith Brook east of the Jordan. It's pretty astonishing. Although God's word to Elijah was unusual in the extreme, he simply obeyed, no questions asked. Now if you remember, Jesus himself gave his disciples some pretty unusual instructions as well. Go to the lake, throw in your fishing line, Inside the mouth, the first fish you catch, you'll find a coin. Use it to pay your taxes. Another occasion. Go and prepare the Passover meal. As you enter the city, you'll see a man with a jar of water. Follow that man, and he will lead you to the house where we'll be eating later on. On another occasion. I know you've been fishing all night. You haven't caught a single thing. Just throw your net on the other side of the boat you'll find more fish than you know what to do with. Why on earth do you think Jesus told his disciples to do such bizarre things? I reckon, among other things, it's because he wanted to develop their obedience. He didn't want them living by their own rational, logical, sensible wisdom. He wanted them to listen to him and trust every word he said. And what you see happening is, the more they acted on Jesus' words, the more they grew to trust it. And the more they trusted it, the more they acted on it. You know, a lot of the time, what God wants us to do is pretty counterintuitive. Love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Give then it will be given back to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. God often comes to us and asks us to do unusual things. And all the time, he's watching very carefully, very closely to see how we react. Will it be, that is completely illogical. It makes no sense to me, so I'm not going to do it. 
Or will it be, I don't understand the reasoning behind this one bit, but because you say so, well, I'll obey. Now, here's the thing. Most of the time, it's only when you reach out with faith and obedience that you begin to see God's miraculous provision. I mean, do you notice how God told Elijah to go to the Kerith Brook before promising that the ravens would feed him there? First the commandment, then the promise. Let's be honest. I think we tend to prefer it the other way around, don't we? We want to see the promise fulfilled before we obey the command to go. We look for God to provide before we go to avoid all element of risk. But God commands the ravens to feed Elijah once he gets to the brook at Kerith. It's like God will prove his faithfulness to provide if, first of all, we'll demonstrate our obedience to step out and be in the place he calls us to. God would say to us, the equivalent of the ravens will show up. The question is, will you? Can't help wondering how much we miss out on simply because we're reluctant to risk anything. The truth is, if we're never willing to leave the rational, we're never, ever, ever going to get to the place of the supernatural. God has a life of extraordinary adventure for us. But will we be willing to obey and take risks? I'll tell you, I want this church to be full of people who readily say, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? People like Helen Walter in our south site, who this summer is going to be leaving behind everything here in the UK. Friends, family, career, house, everything. And moving to join the team in Beirut. A whole host of unanswered questions. Can I even afford to live there? Will it be safe? What if I don't learn or pick up the language? To which God would reply, you go and prove me miracles come when you obey. Listen, when we're doing what God says, the consequences are all up to him. I think the pressure only comes when it's all down to us. Now, exciting, as it is sometimes, to go in faith. Scary, but exciting. Trusting God's promises, reaching out in something new. Sometimes it can require more faith to stay where you are, especially when the pressure starts mounting. And that's certainly the challenge that faced Elijah in the third stage of his preparation, where we're going to see God working on his faith. Verse 6, the ravens brought Elijah bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Imagine the devil whispering to Elijah, Elijah, have you noticed that the drought is beginning to affect the levels of the brook? Elijah, be sensible. 
you know you can't live without water. Elijah, if I were you, I would leave now. It's like, sometimes we go somewhere in faith only to discover that after a while things begin to dry up. And so we protest to God, Lord, didn't you tell me to come here in the first place? Did I get it all wrong? Where are you in this? And when there is no immediate answer from God, we can be tempted, can't we, to take matters into our own hands. Yep, God did bring me here, but it's just too difficult for me to stay. I I just don't know how much more of this I can stand. This marriage, this house, this job, this study, this city, this church... I don't think I can take it anymore. And so we make plans to move on. Now the way it tends to work in our society, the moment things get difficult, people simply give up and leave. Just can't stand it any longer. It's time to go, I'm off. But for the Christian who has received no word from God, leaving is the equivalent of opting out. You may say, I can't stand another day. But God is watching to see if you have the faith to stay where he's placed you, even when the brook is drying up. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Despite being in this, let's face it, life-threatening situation, Elijah had faith to stay until God spoke. And eventually, at the last moment, on the day that the brook actually dried up, God did speak. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. You can imagine Elijah sighing with relief and thinking, Terrific! At last! A proper house, a proper bed, proper company, just ravens to talk to, proper food at long last. Kind of guessing he didn't take the time to open up his Bible dictionary and look up Zarephath to find its meaning in Hebrew. Because if he had, he'd have discovered that Zarephath means place of testing, As he made his journey from that dried up brook to find this widow in Zarephath who was God's provision to feed him, I doubt Elijah gave the name of the town a second thought. Little did he know that this was going to be the place where God would introduce him to his final bout of preparation. Because fourthly and finally, God was looking to produce perseverance. Verse 10. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow. Aha! God was telling the truth. Here's the widow who's going to feed me. Wonderful! Saw this widow gathering sticks. Ah, gathering sticks so she can prepare the food for me. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, oh, bring me a bite of bread too. Just kind of the starter before the main course. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, that I do not have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. 
I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. (laughs) Now, I might be wrong, but I'm guessing that wasn't quite the welcome that Elijah was expecting. (laughs) How does he react? Well, if I was him, I think this may well have been the final straw. God! I thought you said you'd commanded this widow to feed me. doesn't look like that is going to work out well for any of us. What a mess. We'll get one meagre meal if we're lucky. If I eat the food in front of me, I'll just feel guilty that I'm killing a son. Then we're all going to starve to death anyway. But fortunately, Elijah wasn't like me. He didn't wallow in self-pity. didn't vent his anger at God didn't go into a sulk. Have a listen to his response, verse 13. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And so she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. You know... I can't help wondering how often we give up when we are actually still on course. How often we say, oh God, you told me it's not working. What's gone wrong? How often we expect things to happen immediately when God never said anything about the time frame. Let's face it, it's much easier, isn't it, to have faith when you can see it all working out in front of you. But according to Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that's certainly how it was for Elijah. He believed against all the odds, against all the evidence that God would provide for his needs. And so he resisted unbelief and he persevered. And a few weeks' time, We're going to get to chapter 18, where Elijah has the faith and the courage to stand single-handedly against 850 false prophets. And in that moment, he calls on God to send fire from heaven to prove that he's the one true God, but not before dousing the altar with gallons and gallons and gallons of water. Where did Elijah get the face to do that? I'll tell you where. It grew through the pretty challenging time of preparation. Let me close with this. Go back to verse 1, how Elijah was introduced to us as Elijah who was from Tishbe. Start the story. He was known in terms of where he was from. Just 23 verses later, He's no longer known for where he's from, but instead for whom he's from. Verse 24, end of the story. 
Then the woman, this widow, told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. I'll tell you right now, as I look back over my life, I can honestly say I praise God for all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the disappointment. I praise God for all the hidden times, the times where I've had to wait and wait and wait and wait. I praise God for all the times when I've been forced to depend on him. All the other things I would have relied on, gone, only him. I praise God for all the times he has come through for me supernaturally, often at the 11th hour. I praise God for all the lessons that I've been forced to learn about humility and obedience and faith and perseverance. Because more than anything else, when people look at me, I don't want them to say, oh yeah, there's Jonathan, that guy from Birmingham. There's Jonathan, that, that guy who leads Church Central. Instead, they'll say, oh, there's Jonathan. We know for sure he's not perfect. Oh, I could tell you a story or two. But we do know he's a man of God. If you are going to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be. And if we are going to be the church, I really do believe God wants us to be. We cannot avoid going through times of preparation. God will say to each one of us and to us as a church, there is so much more I need to do in you because there is so much more I want to do through you. And so, rather than running from them, please embrace seasons of preparation. Allow God to grow your humility and your obedience, your faith, and your perseverance.